Well, if you want to take your Bible, turn over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. That's where we'll be this evening as we continue working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We've not gotten very far. We won't, we won't make any huge leaps and bounds tonight, but what we, do look at, or what we will look at tonight, I think, will be helpful for us. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5 this evening, hopefully, with the time we have allotted for us. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and we'll read verses 4 and 5, and then we'll take some time to look at each one of these verses. Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Then in verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now we're looking at a portion of scripture that's, that's called the Beatitudes. Remember a few weeks ago, just to kind of remind us, the Beatitudes are a series of what are called macarisms. The word blessed or blessed, uh, the, the Greek word there is um, uh, makarios. And so all of these various ones are, uh, again, a series of macarisms. And remember, a macarism is a pronouncement based on observation that a certain way of being in the world produces human flourishing. And so what that means, what that means is that we must not read the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, for that matter, but especially the Beatitudes. We shouldn't read it in a mechanical way. We should not look at the Beatitudes as if... Jesus is saying, if you'll do this, uh, you will earn God's favor. You should not read them in that way. Uh, nor are they entrance requirements into the kingdom of God. We should not read them and say, well, if I do these certain things, uh, I can get in. Uh, that, that's my way of earning my way in getting God's favor. Rather, the Beatitudes are a description and commendations of the good life. It's like... You, you, you. Here's Jesus saying, "This is the way I commend. This is the kind of life that I commend for you." Jesus is offering and inviting his hearers into a way of being in the world that will result in their true and full flourishing, both now and in the age to come. And I would imagine that every one of us in this room, you know, we 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 want to flourish, and we we want to find, well, you know, what is the best way to live that I will flourish? And that is what Jesus is giving us in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are an invitation. It's Jesus inviting us to reorient our thinking and our sensibilities about what it means to live life to the fullest. You'll see a, a quote. I think I've got this in your notes. By the way, anybody notice Anybody notice that the date's wrong on the notes? You're good. good you see, I just put it there just to see if you catch it. That's all. No, actually, actually, I printed these, these. These were printed on the night where we canceled the Wednesday because of weather. And I thought, why print these up again? So I just saved the church about $3 today. Yay me. Yeah, yay me. There's a quote. You'll see a quote on your notes. You'll see on the overhead. I thought this was helpful. I ran across this. And it says, we can compare the work of the Beatitudes to that of a plow in the fields. Drawn along with determination, it drives the sharp edge of the plowshare into the earth and carves out a deep wound, a broad furrow. In the same way, the word of the Beatitudes penetrates us with the power of the Holy Spirit, 
in order to break up our interior soil. It cuts through us with the sharp edge of trials and with the struggles it provokes. It overturns our ideas and projects, reverses the obvious, thwarts our desires and bewilders us, leaving us poor and naked before God. All this in order to prepare a place within us for the seed of new life. So it's just, you know, it's just one person's observation of, uh, and a good way of looking at how uh, the Beatitudes can work on us, you know, like, a, like a, a plowshare digging in deep. It's just you know, an analogy for how the Holy Spirit works in us to break up the soil of our heart. We said also that the Beatitudes are Jesus' answer to the universal question, how can I truly be happy? You will come in contact with people regularly. They may not say it. They may not say it outright like, I just want to be happy. They may not say it that way. But you can be sure that in some of the ways that, that they talk, you know, you, you might just say, you know, are you happy? You know, or it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like you're happy. And, and then and they may say, you know, I'm not. I've, I've achieved this, but I'm not happy. I've achieved this, but I'm not happy. And you might point them to the Beatitudes because it's Jesus, Jesus, the, the Beatitudes are Jesus' answer to how can I truly be happy. And remember, the Beatitudes are Jesus' list. It, it, it's, it's his list of here, here's how you can be happy. And, you know, we talked, I think, a few weeks ago, and we asked, you know, it's very unlikely if we wrote up our own list that it would look like this at all. See. So this is Jesus' master list. And so last time we looked at verse 3, and uh, verse 3 was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know, that, that's, it's a perfect place to start because it just speaks about being poor in spirit is, is spiritual poverty. You remember we mentioned that the, the self-sufficient, proud person is the one who reasons like this. They, they, they'll say things like, you know, I'm, I'm no, I know... I know I've done some bad things, but I'm not that bad. But I have done some bad things. But I've also done some good things in my life. Therefore, I have some spiritual money in the bank. You see, but, but you know, if you if you listen closely, people will. They'll say, "Yeah, well, yeah, well." I, I was I don't know, I, was, I was watching an interview last night with um, Billy Ray Cyrus on uh, Axis TV. Dan, rather, I, I catch every every Tuesday night. If you don't have anything to do, watch that. It's cool. But anyways, interviewing. Uh, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus is going on and on about how rotten he was. You know, I'm a terrible person. I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the worst this. You know, it was really, really over the top. You know, but um, but mo- a lot of times we'll hear people say, "Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've done some bad things, but but I've also done some good things." And when they say that, what they're saying is, if you'll check my spiritual account, you'll see that I've got some money in the bank. You know, and I'm really counting on that. And and, and Jesus is saying here in verse 3, we looked at it, see, Christians are those who realize they do not have spiritual money in the bank. I don't, I don't have any. So they, 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 they're not falling back on their works of righteousness, their good deeds. They say, you know, I've, I haven't, I've, I've been bad. I'm not that good a person, you know, but I've done some good things. No, poor in spirit means I don't have any spiritual money in the bank. I am bankrupt before God. And we said last time, no one can be a Christian without being poor in spirit. Really, when you think this through, when you work through this, you come away with, you want to come away with any other option. Cannot be a Christian or not a Christian unless you're poor in spirit. This evening, we're going to concentrate on verses 4 and 5 for as long as we have time. But verse 4 is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, we didn't see that one coming, did we? You know, uh, 
what kind of what kind of happy life is this? <laughs> Blessed are those who mourn. Why does Jesus say this? Uh, and, and why is this next on Jesus' list? Okay, because these really, if, if once you go through these, you begin to see they fall in really a very clear logical order. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm bankrupt before God. Now he says, blessed are those who mourn. And so what does this mean? Well, we all know that we're living in a fallen world. Mourning is inevitable. It's going to happen somewhere along the road. If you're a Christian, mourning is a normal part of the Christian experience. So, you know, we, we grieve, we mourn, not like the world does, but we still do. But what kind of mourning is Jesus referring to here? Now, that's what we need to think about. Is he said, blessed are those who mourn. And we're going to see there's a few types of mourning. And so which one is it that Jesus is talking about here? It makes us think. makes us have to really think this through. There's three kinds of mournings, and you'll see them in your notes. The first kind is natural mourning. And that's the kind of mourning that we do over a significant loss in our life. The kind of, of mourning we experience when we lose someone we love. And probably everybody in this room has experienced that kind of, of mourning. And if you, if you haven't yet, you will in this fallen world. When we hear the word mourn, this is the kind of mourning that we often think of first. You see, you know, when, you, when you read this, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Immediately, probably immediately think, Jesus must be talking about this kind of mourning, this, this kind of mourning that you, you feel when you lose someone. Yet, this is not likely the kind of mourning that Jesus is referring to. And wh- why would we say that? Well, it, it's, it's, not that Jesus, it, you know, it's not that Jesus is saying, I'm not concerned about your losses, because the Bible actually says that, that God is the God of all comfort. And, and so he, he is concerned about this kind of mourning kind of mourning that we, we mourn a loss. But, but think about it. These Beatitudes are things that we're supposed to pursue. In other words, Jesus holds these out as blessed are those who, are, who mourn. And so these are things that we should pursue. And so it's not likely, it's not likely that Jesus is talking about the kind of mourning here that accompanies a loss, as, as if we would pursue that, you see. Does that make sense? See, it's not likely that Jesus is talking about that kind of mourning, to, to, to go pursue, pursue that kind of mourning that where it, 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 it's accompanied by losing someone precious in your life. That's not likely what Jesus is speaking about. So that's one kind of mourning, uh, a natural mourning, mourning that, we, that accompanies a loss. But the second kind of mourning is sinful mourning. And I think I have there in your notes, it's, it's mourning or pining over what God has not given us. Uh, a good, you know, at least one example, I think, can be found in uh, 1 Kings chapter 21. Hopefully you can see the print on this, but remember the story of, of, uh, of, of Ahab and, and Naboth. Um, and, and see, you're already reading. I knew you would be. Uh, but just, just remember the story with me. Act like this not even up there. Uh, remember the story with me. Ahab, king of Israel. Now, remember, kings, kings rarely had need of anything, okay? Uh, they, they, they could have anything they wanted. And, and so you, you remember the story where, you know, Ahab sees this little plot of land that connects to his. It's just a little vineyard. And he begins to want it, but it doesn't belong to him. 
And so here, here's where we pick up the reading. It says, Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned his face away and would eat no food. So what... Go ahead and say it. What does that sound like? He's, he's pouting. He's spoiled, you know. Here's a guy, he's got, he, you know, he thinks at least he can have anything he wants because he's king. And uh, he thought, hey, this little guy here, I'll offer him this, I'll offer him that, I'll get what I want. It reminded me of, uh, it reminded me of, you know, when, when, remember when Nathan went to David and he used, you know, the, the parable about, you know, the, the, you know the, the, the wealthy guy took the poor man's sheep, you see, it's always the powerful, the powerful, the wealthy, and they're always oftentimes like able to, to get what they want, you know, and, and just step on the little guy. And that's what's happening here. And what we see here, this, this, this mourning that Ahab is doing is the kind of, of what we call sinful mourning. He's mourning over or pining over what God would not allow him to have. Now, it's unlikely again that Jesus is suggesting this kind of mourning when he says, blessed are those who mourn. Those who are mourning and pining over, well, you know, why didn't God give me this? Why didn't God allow this? Why didn't he work this out in my life? Why didn't he answer this prayer, that sort of thing? Probably not the kind of mourning that Jesus is suggesting, right? So there is a third kind of mourning, and I think this is the one that we need to look at. That is spiritual mourning, a mourning over our sin. Now think about it. The very first beatitude is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I'm I'm coming to God and I've got no spiritual money. I've got, I've got, I'm I'm just, here I am. Here I am. And and, and then next we see, blessed are those who mourn. Now, it's most likely that this is the type of mourning that Jesus is talking about. Mourning over our sin. Mourning over the reality of how sinful we are. It is a deep sorrow, regret over the sin we have committed against a holy God. You know, it isn't interesting as, as, as a young new Christian, you know, we, 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 begin to, we begin to become more aware. You know, as we, as we first, you know, first begin to hear what the Bible has to say about, you know, about our condition. And, and then we, it all be, you know, starts percolating I'm like wow wow you know God is holy and and look at me you know and blessed are those who mourn in Psalm 130 and 3 I think maybe we might have that yeah if you O Lord should mark iniquities O Lord who could stand there David is recognizing he's 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 an awareness of his sin Lord if you if you took it you know if you mark these things if you took account of every little thing, who could stand? See, we, we often hear, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately, we, the, 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 I don't want to use the word balance. I don't know that that's always the best word, but it, there's, there's a considerable challenge when we, 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 do, we speak much about grace, and we should. 
Okay? Should speak much about the grace of our Lord. But, but at the same time, we know that we have made too much of grace when we make too little of sin. Okay? We, got, we, have to be, we have to be careful that it's not all grace, 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 to the exclusion of the horribleness of sin. Uh, I was reading this the other day, and see if this sounds, see if you agree with this, okay? For the past 50 to 60 years, we have heard something like this. Just admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner and ask God to forgive you. That's, that's, that's often been the presentation, the, the, the gospel presentation that we've heard over the last 50, 60 years. Do you know that you know you're a sinner? Uh, yeah, okay. Will you acknowledge that you're a sinner? Yes. Uh, then just ask, ask God to forgive you. And they go, okay. Uh, and they pray some sort of a you know, concocted prayer, you know. And then the writer goes on to say this. Then far too often the person joyfully continues on the same course of life they've always been upon with no expectation of change. Does that sound anything like, can, can you relate to that in the last 50 to 60 years? Often that's been the gospel presentation. Just, just acknowledge your, will you acknowledge, are you a sinner? Will you acknowledge it? Yep. Just, just ask God to forgive you. No mention of repentance. No mention of change. No, no, none of those kind of things. And then the person says, okay, I prayed the prayer. I, I've said I'm a sinner. And I, I, I admit it, I'm a sinner. And then they go away and they joyfully forgiven and they continue in the same course of life. There's not a bit of difference in how they, how they treat their spouse, how they handle their money, uh, how they treat others. It's just, it's, they go on the same way, before, just like before they ever prayed the prayer, before they ever acknowledged that they're a sinner. They go on living the same way. And there is something terribly wrong with that, right? Yes, yes. Yes, you know if if, if you know if we if we if we st- if we start off with a bad if we start off with a bad presentation a bad foundation you know then then people build on that and yeah so you're exactly right so it's, so do, do you know that's that's what we've heard over especially over the last fifty to sixty years I think maybe maybe you could stretch it out further than that but certainly the last fifty sixty seventy years and there's something terribly wrong with that. And there's a huge difference. Now, listen, there's a huge difference between admitting you're a sinner and repenting. There's a huge difference between those two. See, while mourning our sin is not less than saying, I'm sorry, it's certainly more, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry could be in there, but I'm sorry or I've sinned may not always really be cutting to the depth of that it needs to cut to. And a good example of this is found in 1 Samuel. I think you'll see these verses. 1 Samuel, here we go. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not the right one. I guess I didn't put the right one. Well, let's turn over to it, okay? 1 Samuel 15. Let's turn over to it. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul, the king of Israel, was quite famous, you might say, for saying, I have sinned. Uh, In fact, we have recorded three times at least that he said, I have sinned. And I want us to look at two of those times, all right? In 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, that, that sounds pretty good. You know, it sounds like you know, here's a person saying, look, I've sinned, I'm, I'm sorry, 
That's a great start. But then notice in verse 25, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. All right, there's already a little hint of something amiss here. And we're going to see it in a bigger way in just a moment. But he he says to Samuel, you know, pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. You go with me, okay? Samuel, you, you stick with me here. Now, why is that important? Well, if you drop down to verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Now, here's what most commentators say about these verses, that what was, what was of utmost importance to Saul was his reputation. That on one hand, he was saying, I'm, I've sinned. He's, oh, I'm, I've sinned. I messed up. But would, would you stick with me and walk with me? Because it's really important that the elders see me in a certain way. It's, it's really important that people see me in a certain way. So most commentators say about this that what, what Saul is really more concerned about is not, it's not like that he's understood the seriousness of his sin. It, it's more, okay, okay, I'm sorry, let's get things back to normal. Let's, ju- let's just be able to move on here. And I think that's probably, you know, looking at Saul's life as a whole, that's probably most likely what was going on with Saul when you take his whole life uh, in, 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 into the, the full picture. And so... Here, here you have someone who's saying, they're saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I've blown it, you know, I've, 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 but, but he's really not, he's not mourning over his sin. That's it. That's, that's really what's going on. Look, I've messed up, but let's just, he's in a hurry to get back to normal. And he's not mourning over his sin. Uh, Donald Whitney has a book entitled, Ten Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. Um, in other words, here's here's a way to go to the here's a way to go, in a sense, to the spiritual doctor and say, okay, tell me what's going on. Uh, he has a chapter in the book entitled "Do You Still Grieve Over Your Sin?" In it, in that chapter, Whitney makes a compelling argument that the more spiritually mature you become, the more in tune you are with your sin, and the more you mourn over it. Is that is that true? Do you, do you agree with that? Does that make sense? The, the, you know, some might think, well, the more spiritually mature I get, you know, the, the more, you know, the sharper I am, you know, the more, the, the more perfect I become, you know. But as, as it turns out, in most cases, most cases, I think this is very true. We, the more spiritually mature we become, the more sensitive we become to the multifaceted, broken pieces in our lives, right? But then he goes on to say this. But he anticipates this objection. In other words... He says this, and he says, well, I expect people to say this. Is it healthy to focus on sin rather than grace? And, and that, that's what we were talking about just a moment ago. Now, absolutely focus on grace, but he says, is it healthy to focus on sin rather than grace? And his answer is simple. He says, you need to do both. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, that, that is absolutely, absolutely right on. But also... We, we, do, we don't do it. We don't, we don't do it without looking to the grace of our Lord. Whitney goes on to say this, The more you mourn your sin, the more enraptured you are with the grace of Jesus to die for you and to forgive you, and in turn, the more sanctified you grow. When you grieve over sin, you fight temptation more vehemently and thus experience quicker growth in godliness. Now that, to me... 
That to me sounds right. That to me makes sense. And so it's not like it's not like we're just being introspective and we're just constantly, oh poor me, I'm oh oh me, oh me, and we're just always looking inward. And we gotta also look outward, outside of ourselves, to Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of truth. So it says, Blessed are those who mourn. And the blessedness is not in the mourning itself but rather in the consequence of it. Well, Jesus is not saying you'll be, you'll, the blessing is all focused on just mourning. No, it's focused on the comfort that comes. Because what does it say? Blessed are those who mourn for what? They shall be comforted. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, and I think that's something we did have actually on a slide. Let's look at that. Jesus said he came to Nazareth where he had been, been brought up, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. And so especially... uh, especially where it, it speaks of and, and set at liberty those who are pressed. Uh, speaking of, again, those who grieve over their sin. Find, in other words, there's com- Jesus brings comfort to those who truly mourn over their sin. Those who do not mourn. Now listen, just to wrap this part of it up. Those who do not mourn over their sin are in great danger of presuming on God's mercy. You know, it, it's, it's kind of this lightheartedness of, well, you know, yes, I've messed up, but he'll forgive me. That's, that's really what he's there for, you see. And, and that's, that's, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. And we do this mourning, again, in hope, not in despair. Judas, remember, Judas, Judas mourned over his sin, right? He did. He, 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 it actually says he repented, you know. But what, what happened... Satan led him to despair, and he ultimately took his own life. And the Holy Spirit, though, will lead you and I through the morning on to comfort, not despair, you see. So, blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they shall be comforted. Now, verse 5, let's, let's move along if we can here very quickly. Uh, verse 5, blessed are those, or blessed are, I should say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth is um, what is meekness what what does meekness sound like to you when you hear the word meek what images come to your mind somebody quiet okay sorry humble okay good 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 humble quiet what other what other images come to your mind any pictures that come to your mind meek very very good exactly exactly you know the reason why I ask that question is because oftentimes you know unfortunately meekness is, is often equated with, with weakness, and, and that's not, not at all as we're going to see. In fact, meekness requires strength. And so let's just walk through a, a, a few things. One, one of, there's, there's a few different facets to, to meekness I want us to look at. Um, first, meekness is a proper estimate of oneself. It is so important that we have a proper estimate of ourselves. Who was who it? Paul said, you know, we're not, we're not to think more of ourselves you see, but 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 there's there's a certain, there, you know, we we should have a certain 
estimate of ourselves based upon you know, based upon our position in Christ. For example, on one hand, we can we can acknowledge that we're sinners. Okay, we we can acknowledge that we're sinners, but on the other hand, in Christ, we're loved and accepted by God. And so, having a proper estimate of oneself is is really kind of the basic foundation for what meekness is. That way, see, when we have a proper understanding of ourselves, we, we can, the less, the, the less likely we are to come unglued when people, you know, say something about us. You know, that, that is always a challenge for all of us, you know, like somebody, you know, somebody may lie about you and you say, you know, you, you hear about it and you go, oh, they lied about me, you know, and, and you just come unglued, you know, and, and you say, well, of course you wouldn't, but on the other hand, stop and think of it. They lied about Jesus, right? They lied about Jesus, and so who are we to, you know, to think that somehow we're better than our master? You see, having a proper estimate of ourselves, yeah, they, 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 they said that about me, but what does God say about me, you see? What does God say about me? Being, being able to, meekness is having a proper estimate of oneself. Um, meekness, and, and, and Larry mentioned this a, a moment ago, meekness is the taming of the assertive self. Uh, a good example of this is in Jeremiah chapter two. And I, do we have that verse, uh, Dale? Jeremiah. Okay. Let, let me let me let me turn over to this. In, in in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is speaking to the nation of Judah, and uh, listen listen to this analogy that he uses. He's speaking for God, and in chapter two, verses twenty three and twenty four. Here's what he says. He's speaking to, to, to Israel and he says, How can you say, I am not unclean? I have not gone after the Baals. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. A restless young camel running here and there. A wild donkey used to the wilderness in her heat sniffing the wind. Who can restrain her lust? Now, what, what is, this, this is really kind of vivid uh, language that's being used here. What God is saying is, your departure from me, your forsaking me, your backsliding from me, you are behaving like a wild donkey in heat. That's, that's literally what he's saying. You, you, you are untamed. You're not, you're not under my hand, you see. You're, you're not under my hand. You're, you're like a wild donkey running crazy. When, 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 when a person forsakes God, neglects God, uh, Leaves, you know, de- departs from God, backslides from God. They they are like a wild donkey. They're they're not under. They're not meek. <laughs> That's it. They're not meek. Um, turn over to well, we may have. This. Do we have Second Timothy? Maybe we do have that one. Yeah, there we go. Let's look at this. As the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Now, th- this this correcting his opponents with gentleness that that is another dimension of meekness. Uh, meekness again is is a proper estimate of oneself. It's um, it's 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 being tamed by God, you might say, but it, but it's also it results in. Gentleness, and this re- this requires strength under control, strength to control our temper. See, let's let's say uh, you know as, as here it says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. In other words, 
You can be corrective, you know. We, 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 certainly may be occasions where we certainly need to be correcting someone who's, who's certainly gotten off the path or off the, the rails, so to speak. But how are we to do it? With, with gentleness, with, with meekness. Uh, again, having a proper estimate of ourselves, you see. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not... I'm not threatened. I'm not, I'm, we say, comfortable in my own skin, those kind of things. That is meekness. Uh, meekness is also this. I found this interesting. Meekness is submission, submission. Uh, when, when you take the word submission, it is your mission placed under, that's, that's the sub part, okay, submission, your mission Placed under the mission of someone else. Okay? Tur- turn over. Well, we may have it. James chapter 1. Do we have that down? Yeah. Here we go. This is a great verse. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, what's interesting here is James is writing to believers. Okay? He's writing to believers who already have the word planted in them. Okay? So why is he saying what he's saying here? If they already have the word planted in them, why is he saying receive uh, the implanted word with meekness? Why is he saying that? It's, it's now they must yield to it. It's already been, already been planted. The seed has already been planted. The word's already been given. Now they must yield to it with meekness, um, which means to open their heart to the hand of God. Remember the wild donkey? The, the, the runaway horse, you know, the unbroken horse, like Larry was mentioning. It, we, we, are, we are to, in, in meekness, come under, come under submission to the hand of our Lord. Our mission under the mission of our Lord. One, one final verse. Meekness is also, as is, is, uh, Joy mentioned, meekness is humility. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we find... Uh, maybe we don't find that one either. Boy, I'm really messed up there, didn't I? Let me just read it then. In Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Uh, Again, how can we do this? We must have a true estimate of ourselves in order to do this. To, to, to be able to react this way, you know, again, we, ha- we have to have a good estimate. I think the best story that I've heard regarding meekness and gentleness and humility regarded a man, and some of you, some of you uh, buffs may know this person, Sir Edmund Hillary. In 1953, he conquered Mount Everest. Back in those days, he was the rock star, okay, of mountain climbing. You know, every, everybody... Would, would know who he was. And on one of his many trips back to the Himalayas, he was spotted by a group of tourist climbers. He was there. Some tourists come along. They recognized him. Oh, man, you know, say, look at this. And so they said, you know, could we, get a, could we get a picture with you? And he said, of course, that'd be fine. And said so they handed him an ice pick. Now, this is great. They handed him an ice pick so he would look uh, the part and set up the, the photograph. So get, get this, you know, they're like, hey, you, t- you hold this, hand, you know, this ice pick and we'll get a picture with you. I said, just then another climber passed the group and not recognizing who Edmund Hillary was, uh, he strode up to Hillary and said, excuse me, that's not how you hold an ice pick. <laughs> 
Now, what did, what did, what, what did Edmund Hillary do? He could have said, you little idiot. <laughs> you know, he could have said, you, what are you talking about? Don't you know who I am? Here's what happened. Um, he said, everyone stood around in amazed silence as his, Hillary thanked the man, let him adjust the pic, and happily went on with the photograph. Isn't that cool? Oh, that we could do that. You know, when, when I, let me ask you something. When, when I read that to you, when I read that story, doesn't that enhance Edmund Hillary's humility? Doesn't it? It does. When, man, when I first read that, I thought, man, you know, I, I, I read that thinking, oh, would to God that I would respond in such a way like that. That's, that's how I would want to respond. Again, gentleness, meekness, humility, patience. Yeah. One, one, final, one final thing. Um, those who are meek will inherit the earth. Don't miss that part, okay? Because the truth is uh, the wild donkeys have their day. They're, they're having their day right now, right? I mean, meekness, meekness doesn't really stand out in our world as being a great virtue. You know, it's, it's more like being a wild donkey, being assertive, getting, getting, take, taking the vineyard. You know, I, I'm just going to take the vineyard, you know. Jezebel had to come along and said, you know, dry up your tears. Let's get this thing, you see. Assertiveness. And, and the wild donkeys, though, the wild donkeys having their day right now, but according to Scripture, the wild donkeys will have their day, all right. Remember Asaph in Psalm 73? Man, the wicked, the wicked were, you know, having their day. They were, everything was going well for them. For the people of God, it wasn't going so well. But what happened? You remember what Asaph said? It was when I went, I went to the house of the Lord. It's when I went to worship. When I, get to, when I went to reorient my heart to who God was and his will, his plans, his outlook for the future, when I began to see that again, when I began to dial that back in, I saw their end. And then here, here's what he said after, right after that. See, before the wild donkeys were having their day and everything was going great for them, but after he saw their end, here's what he said. Nevertheless, I am continu- continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm going to inherit the earth. I'm going to inherit the earth. Why? Because blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So let's stay meek, right? Let's go after it. I mean, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Pursue these things. Pursue these things. And somebody, somebody gets cross with you this week, and they, you know, they come up and say, you don't, you don't even know how to hold a pick. <laughs> Just say, well, help me here, would you? Show me how to hold it, okay? <laughs> and... and and you'll be able to do that because you have a proper estimate of yourself. All right? Let's pray. Our Father, in all honesty, these are, are wonderful truths. And, and right now, I stand here and I think, oh, Lord, I want, to, I want to behave this way. I really do. I think everybody in this room, the, the trajectory of our heart Lord, is to, to live this way, to, to mourn over our sin even if we've been a Christian for 30 years, 40 years, to, to still mourn over our sin, but to do so looking to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and finding comfort in him. And we want to pursue meekness, but we live in a world where the world is so upside down, so messed up, and it doesn't, 
it doesn't give a warm greeting to the meek woman or the meek man. But, Lord, we've got to believe you. We've got to believe what you've said. You said, blessed are those who are meek. And, and it's you saying to us, this is the way to live. This is the way you will flourish. And so, Lord, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the empowerment of the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, may we go and may we pursue, may we go after these macarisms, this way of flourishing in life. And may we receive your blessing in it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, everybody. You are dismissed.